0: Hello everyone, I am here with a special guest, Ina. She is an MBA student at Wharton in Pennsylvania, and she is from Cameroon and Madagascar. So welcome to the show, Ina.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: Of course, anytime. So before we dive into the topic of the day, why don't you give us a bit about your background in terms of uh, where you're from and how you ended up getting to Wharton doing your MBA?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It's a bit of a long story, so bear with me. I'll try to be quick. Um, So as you rightly mentioned, I'm from Cameroon and Madagascar. So I was born and raised in Cameroon, um, grew up there until I was about 10, and we moved to Europe with my family. Um, And I actually initially studied international affairs, so my whole purpose was to understand how the world operates and why some nations have done, you know, economically, quote unquote, better than others. That was very naive in our thinking. But, you know, as we as I move forward in life, I started my career at the United Nations um, with that sole goal of trying to have an impact around the world. Um, did that for about a year, uh, realized that the UN was a great place, uh, just not for me. So decided to uh, you know take a step back and rethink a bit more about what I wanted to do. Uh, my graduate research was actually around the role of technology for social change, particularly in conflict um, zones. So I was looking at the DRC and thinking about how we can use technology to really bring information to people on the ground and so really became really fascinated by tech moved back to cameroon on a social enterprise the goal was to start a social sort of like a uh, a social enterprise uh, around sanitation and uh did that wasn't fully ready to launch a business so decided to come back to the us but at that point i'd caught the entrepreneurial virus so started another company in education and tech tried to raise money couldn't do it We'll dive deeper into that but uh long story short i became really interested in understanding you know what was the whole sort of uh, idea behind, you know, raising money? Why is it that, that I couldn't do it? Um, and then got an opportunity to then run a social impact accelerator with Mohamed Yunus, and all the companies in my portfolio were struggling to also raise money for many different reasons. So became really fascinated by those questions, dove deep in, in the subject, came across VC. Um, as an asset class and then became quite frankly really interested in the whole idea and so got into venture capital and then um at an early stage accelerator program then did that for about four years and knew that i wanted to become a well run investor had all the operational skills i'd run businesses before i'd supported businesses but how do i actually invest in them So I decided to go get an mba and then uh that's why i'm here now
0: fantastic Um, So why don't we dive a little bit deeper into that, actually. So you said that you didn't know how to raise money. Um, What were some of those things that you didn't know? And like, what what did you try and do to solve those things before you decided to do like a proper program to learn how to actually raise money or to, you know, dive into VC straight, straight on?
1: Yeah, so... I didn't really know what I was getting into, to be honest with you. I mean, now that I think about it, I'm like, damn, I was crazy. <laughs> like, it's really hard. And I mean, you know that. And so um, I was, you know, we had a business. I really believed into what we were doing. So just, a, you know, one line on what we were doing. We're building um, essentially programs to, to provide STEM education and entrepreneurship education to underrepresented minorities. And so um it was very, you know, it was very programmatic at the beginning, very non profity So we actually ended up pivoting to become a talent pipeline for big tech. So because we had all those, you know, th- this community of students that, frankly, were completely overlooked by big tech. And so I was really bullish into our community and the things that we were doing. So I was like, well, it's a no-brainer. We're doing something good for society. It's going to help those families, those kids. It's going to help those companies. Like, why wouldn't you want to help us? And so I was going out there, you know, initially what I was doing is really, kind of going out there and really looking into who are sort of like impact focused investors, who are ed tech investors, very, very pigeonholing us, our business. And so really thinking about here is the mission, who can resonate with that. Let me go and talk to those people. And I had really, really nice conversation. I mean, I met some really amazing people who were really willing to help, but, um, you know, there's a difference between helping and actually giving you money I and mean, that's a whole, a whole world. And so, uh, I realized that I, one thing that I did is I, very quickly put our business in a category. Instead of thinking about, you know, can we be a SaaS business? Can we be, are we more of a product? What are we? Really trying to kind of like broaden our mindset as to who we could actually go and talk to. So, uh, you know, going after tech investors and tech programs is fine, but when you kind of like go that route, um, you are quickly seen in a certain light. And at the time also, when we think about impact investing, there was a lot more around you know, charity and philanthropy, which thankfully has changed now. But um, I think that really didn't help us that much. And I think the whole way I was going about that, I mean, I was younger as well. So I think this idea of uh, you know, not necessarily discrimination against the maybe younger people was very, very much there. And I was probably very oblivious to it. Um, and so, uh, so I think you know now that I look back, I definitely would learn from those lessons and I try to tell all the founders that I'm talking to that you know try to be as open-minded as you are as you think about kind of a, the VCs that you want to go and talk to. And frankly, also think about, are you a VC-backed business? Like, are you actually, should, should you be going that route? Are there other ways for you to, to, to raise money?
0: Yeah, no, that's a great point. And then obviously in terms of being ready to receive investments or to raise capital, there are two components. There's number one, do you have the skills to run a scalable business, which is what you kind of alluded to. But the second is, do you have the connections and the networks that can help you um, receive that that funding? And so I wanted to touch a bit on both of those sides of the equation. So in terms of the skills, the hardcore skills of running a business and getting your pitch deck to be on point and speaking the lingo of VCs, how did you go about that? And then also how did you go about developing your networks? And did you even need to develop a network uh, to be successful in terms of raising or actually working in this space?
1: yeah absolutely so you know i think i love the way you're breaking this down between the hard skills that you know frankly you know how, can you can you can you run a business i mean those are something that you know you you have it sort of like you know dna and you can obviously you know build those skills you know I come from a liberal arts background I studied international affairs I'm very good at research I'm very good at you know churning data from you know pages pages of you know uh, of content uh, but when it comes to actually running a business I was I didn't really know what, what I was doing frankly and so um, I really believed in our, in our product so I think that you know when I tell founders that, really need to believe into what you're doing and i think that's that sounds very cheesy but it's very true because if you don't believe who else will uh so i really believe it's what we were doing i mean it was really hard uh but i i loved working with the students that was kind of like one of the reasons that you know i was frankly getting up in out of bed every morning um so but when it comes to actually building something that is scalable i think we weren't quite there you know like I, i was mentioning to you we had that those programs that we were running in the form of after school programs, which is not at all scalable. I mean, this is something that you basically go out there and you teach students and that's that. And and you either are a good teacher or you're not. And so so that was the piece around that, that I, I saw that, you know, this was not going to be our Silicon Valley typical model. So we needed to do something there. And that's kind of like how we saw all those big tech companies that really were thinking about having more diverse talents. And we saw ourselves as, okay, well, we have all these students, we have all those talents that we're actually training that could be potential um, employers at those companies. How can we be that bridge? And so we started looking around, you know, other organizations and most, most of them are non And I was like, how can we step back from this whole nonprofit model to become an actual scalable business? And so eventually we run a couple of pilots with a couple of those companies. So actually Google um, and Facebook were our very first, you know, customers. That was really great in terms of giving us traction um, and credibility. Um, But so, you know, that was very much, you know, based on, you know, we had some connections working at the schools. And, you know, in the DOE, we had a couple of of, of contacts, also people on my team that had worked in that space before. So it wasn't really me. But when you kind of think about actual VCs, we had zero connection. I mean, there was really... I didn't even know where to go. I was—I remember spending so much time on AngelList, F6S, uh, you know, know those websites in and out, um, and really trying to kind of like just cold outreach people. And you know, at the time, you know, VC's are like, I don't want to be you know cold outreach. Like, you can find me, and I would just—I started you know really honestly stalking people. I would go to events. I would go and like catch people at the end of events and just trying to tell them like, hey, I would love to, to chat with you. I'm building this. Um, and, and at the time, you know, because we were building something that was that has some kind of a social impact and people like to do good things. People felt like, okay, let me just go and have a chat with this woman. She's very annoying. Let me just go and talk to her. And you know, because she otherwise she's, she's going to really like pester me. Uh, but uh, ultimately, I was able to get, you know, meeting one, meeting two. And in those meetings, I was actually getting a lot of feedback because I think people, generally speaking, were willing to help me, uh, coming back to the point around not giving me money, but at least helping me. So in that sense, you know, yes, there was a great deal of linings there that I was able to, not necessarily getting money, but at least building my network like that because I really had known. So yeah. I feel like that really helped me in terms of you know, networking my way through that.
0: Fantastic. So if we think about the specific um, feedback or skills or things that you needed to be able to raise that first time. What are two or three things that you think someone needs in order to have a proper conversation with a venture capitalist or with a source of funding? And what are the things they need to demonstrate in order to be able to raise capital?
1: Absolutely. So I've, I've mentioned a bit about that. It's kind of like the whole passion. Um, I'm, I'm almost not even going to mention that as a skill because to me, that's a, like a given. Like you need to actually bel- somehow believe or love the problem that you're trying to solve. But very closely related to that is being able to, Answer the questions. And I don't mean, you know, I don't mean in a way that is, you know, very you know, obscure, but actually, if an investor is asking you what is the size of the market, answer the question, what is the size of the market? We don't need to know all the background around things. like It's fine. You can elaborate on that, but actually answer the market is boom, boom, boom. And we came to that number because of X, Y, and Z. So I think that's something that is really, really important, number one. Number two, also related to kind of like the whole business and all of that, really understand what is happening, like what is happening in the business? Why is that if we believe that your solution is really going to be the right fit for the specific problem that we're trying to solve? Most of the time I see founders, you know, addressing a very a huge problem that most people we are aware of, um, but we need to actually break down the problem to really understand how the solution itself directly addresses Addresses that. And so to give you an example, for example, you know, we were looking at, you know, addressing the whole issue that, you know, tech is not the I mean, that's a very big problem. It's very known. I don't think it's a secret anymore. Uh, but how do we actually do that? So we were actually building a solution to inspire students to really get to really understand how to build skill sets, a tech skill set to be able to be employed at those companies. So it was basically. Um, an HR slash slash jobs upskilling type of business that we were building. It wasn't a, like an ed tech type of thing. So really understanding what what specifically your your solution is trying to address. So I think that's that's really crucial. And lastly, which we have to talk about that, how do you plan to monetize? I think mo- like most of the time, especially early state businesses and rightfully so are toying around multiple different revenue revenue models and different avenues, and that's fine. But at least trying to have a plan around, you know, here's what we're trying to do. And here's how we're testing out to see if it's actually working. And if it's not, let's move on to plan B. And so I think that that's really important for, you know, for founders to really understand, especially not your typical kind of like SaaS business where SaaS models are very, you know, predictable. But when you're trying to build, let's say, a community, something that we were trying to do, if you don't have a way to monetize, um personally you're not getting a second meeting with me because i mean I, to me that's that's i don't want to say red flag because I, that's that's a bit that's a bit harsh but it, 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 it's, it's a bit concerning
0: yeah yeah no, that makes a lot of sense and so let's let's transition a bit into like your mba program now so what are you actually specifically learning um that you're finding most valuable i know that you can take classes on everything from you know valuations to finding part of market fit and all those kinds of things. But what are some of those key things that you're learning that you wish you knew uh, when you were first starting your business at, at, right now at the MBA program?
1: Absolutely. And, and I think one of the big reasons why I decided to to go get an MBA, that was a, a question that many people sort of asked me. They were like, well, you're already up in VC. You're already doing all the good things like that, that you really want to do. Like, why do you need to get an MBA now? And I'm like, well, hey, I really do like school. I mean, that's uh, that's typical sort of like African immigrant problem <laughs> that we love school. Uh, but no, jokes aside, I um, you know, I feel like I I had all the operational skills. I mean, I know how to roll up my sleeves, get my hands dirty. Let's go and like let's build things. Ultimately, I'd like to think that I'm a builder, but I was really lacking some of the financial skills that. Uh, frankly, quite important. That, you know, accounting, being able to read a financial statement—that's something that I did it when I was on the job in my, running my business. But it wasn't a very sophisticated business. I mean, if you give me CBS financial statement, I wouldn't be able to understand what's happening. Thankfully, now I can because I actually took classes around that. Um, but so, I think one of the big reasons why I was really attracted to get an MBA was, you know, really getting that that financial acumen. And and I really specifically picked um, UPenn because the program is very quantitatively robust. And so that is a background that I don't have. And I really was hoping to, you know, really feel those skills. And so now I'm really taking you know, I'm in my first year. I took a bunch of core classes so anywhere from stats to econ classes, but also classes around sort of like uh, private equity, VC in emerging market, which is something that I'm really excited about. Um, Some very straightforward leadership classes as well, which um, I think, you know, we don't really teach us enough about how to be, you know, how to actually be a leader. And I know you can you can build those skills on the job, but it's really helpful to actually have uh, the framework behind it to really know what to do in specific um, situations. So I think that I'm really able to do that. And one piece as well that I'm really able to appreciate even more is that I'm also working um, as an early stage investor at Moxie Ventures, and being able to actually work um, and being in school has been extremely unique as an experience because I'm really able to understand. You know how you know how to actually do the job of an investor, like you know, on my day to day at Moxie, and then being able to put that back in context with the school with the, my, my curriculum and school, and um, and kind of like bringing all the things that I'm learning in the classroom on the job and vice versa has been really, frankly, um, even more uplifting. And, and I feel like I'm really sort of like building even more skills than I and I that I would have hoped to if I was only doing the MBA. So it's
0: been yeah. great yeah that's awesome and so now that you're also on the other side working as a venture capitalist looking at people that are coming to you with pitch decks what are some of the common reasons why you reject um certain businesses or what have you learned being on the other side now looking at maybe hundreds if not thousands of decks that are sent your way um, that you would recommend for our audience to learn from because we have a lot of founders that watch the show so what, what are the like the top two or three things that you've noticed that would instantly get someone at least a review of their deck or at least maybe that first meeting or, or at least consideration compared to maybe the others that you don't look at?
1: Absolutely. So I think, you know, and that goes back to my personal preferences and also kind of like what Moxie invests in. So we like to, our thesis is that we invest in companies and founders that are improving the way we live and work. So we're not an impact fund. Uh, however, we do like businesses that are actually, you know, adding some kind of positive value to society. And that could mean, you know, a whole lot of things that could be businesses in fintech, healthcare, climate tech. Done a bunch of deals, future of work, um, edtech, you know, so on and so forth. So I think that if the business fundamentally is somehow adding some kind of positive value, that could be adding value, to, you know, saving lives, but that could also be you know making salespeople jobs easier. So you know, very different type of impact that we're talking about here. So I think that's the, number one. That's something that I, I really care about. Um, I'm also really excited when I see founders who have uh, some kind of experience in the um, in business that they're trying to solve. So, for instance, you know, I like. I, at at least someone would get a first meeting with me if let's say they're building something that, um, I had a founder that was, you know, building a mobility business, um, you know, trying to understand how it was mobility slash logistics. So really thinking about how, you know, um, improve sort of like delivery systems um, in the US, especially during COVID e-commerce really boomed. But this founder had worked for many years um, you know, in an e-commerce business and later on has worked directly, you know, with USPS um, and at, both as an employee, but also um, as someone who has used the service, as many of us have, and to so really saw some of the challenges and, and really the gaps. And so once again, come back to that question of like, what kind of unique insights do you have as a founder that the rest of us don't? So how can you educate us? And when I say us, it's us, you know, your investors, but also your customers, um, you know, your users and so on and so forth. So I think that's really exciting to me. Um, and yeah, you know, frankly, do I, am I excited about the business? And I, personally, I love Unsexy Tech. I love things that are being completely overlooked. So things around manufacturing, infra, um, you know, how do we improve, health, you know, safety of workers on oil rig or factories and things like that. To me, that's really exciting. Mobility, I've mentioned, you um, so I think that's, that to me is really cool. I mean, now we see a lot of things, you know, Web3, the metaverse, are things that are very much in everybody's mouth. I'm still, you know, honestly trying to educate myself around that because I'm, I'm trying to kind of like wrap my head around some of the questions in that and, and see, is, is this true? Is this actually happening? Or is this just a fad? Too, too soon and I'm too uneducated to actually have a say on that. Um, but, but I think that, you know, we see a lot of founders that are building things around that. And I'm sort of thinking, well, are you actually... Um, are you actually understanding what's going on, or are you sort of just jumping on a bandwagon? So that that's, those are questions that I'm also, you know, trying to like, you know, ask myself yeah. as a founder too.
0: Yeah, no, that sounds fantastic. And are there any common trends? So you mentioned like Web3 and the Metaverse and all those kinds of things. But what are some of the trends that you're seeing in VC? And we can talk about it from either a sector perspective, like Web3 and Metaverse and all those kinds of things, but also from a funding perspective. Like, are you seeing more funding, uh, maybe more competition with micro VCs? Are you seeing more niche firms? Like, what are you seeing in terms of the general trends right now in the venture capital space?
1: Absolutely. I think this is something that uh, is... as COVID has really accelerated some of the trends that we were already seeing a bit. So, um, as you, I'm sure you're aware of the numbers, I mean, VC is really at an all time high in terms of VC funding being put into companies. There are funds really being raised every other day, almost. I mean, everybody and the mothers are raising funds now, which frankly, I it's a good thing because now it means that there is more competition, to your point, across micro and you know early stage fund and so just for for your listeners you know micro funds are anywhere sort of like between you know 10 million to 30 30 to kind of like 100 it would qualify as a pre-seed seed round um sorry seed funds um and so um i think we see a lot more funds being raised now and that means that there is founders are uh, can afford to be more competitive, and, I, and we're seeing this, right? Because I I've, I've talked to founders, you know, you know, every day. And one thing that I like to kind of like also understand is that, you know, who are you wh- what do you look for in an investor? And so most of them say, you know, I really want to meet someone who either can help me achieve product market fit, can help me go from zero to one, can connect me to other people, can basically can insert something that the founders need. So, and that all falls into that whole value-add type of investor. So every, every founder that I'm talking to is looking for an investor that is going to be able to add value. So this whole idea of having taking smart money is really couldn't be truer today. And so with that, because there is a lot more VCs out there, there is just more competition and, 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 and founders can afford to be more picky um, in who they want to take money from, which I think is a good thing. Um, so I think that's number one. The second trend that we're seeing is around globally. Um, global VC also is at an all-time high. As I, I think we're seeing a lot more money being put into regions that have been, um, you know, historically overlooked, and that's great news for someone like myself, who is from the continent in Africa, and I'm seeing a lot more money being put into. Um, to businesses back home so you know obviously fintech is, is having a huge uh, huge moment around you know places like Kenya uh, Nigeria South Africa Ghana and so so forth but I think even more in places that were not necessarily looked like francophone Africa I think we're seeing a lot more you know American and British European VCs going down there, and so that's really really exciting. And the same can be applied in Southeast Asia and Latin as well. And so I think that's great. We I mean, we're Tiger SoftBank also very active in those regions. So so I think it's it's great that we were able to pl- to put those regions back on the map. Um, I think that's the second trend. And number three as well. And I think we're seeing that because um, we are we we have a lot more money being being poured, especially at the early stage. Uh, we are seeing valuation being a lot, you know know to a certain extent you know a lot higher than before so some might argue that they're inflated some argue that they're you know very big for you no know, reasons and obviously that's because a lot of those you know mega funds and, and bigger funds so you know uh borderline growth equity to PE are actually looking a bit more at early stage because they just really want to get access to deals much earlier to get bigger allocation and you know having more of a say and more ownership at the very beginning so because because they're able to put more money um valuation can also are much higher so i think that that's one thing as well that i, I like to tell founder uh founders that it, it's it's good that they are able to attract you know all those mega fund, but it's it's very important to also uh not not be too greedy uh, so try to you know is at when you don't have a product should your valuation really be 45 million pre, I mean, I don't know about that, but that, that really depends on the business, but something to really think about. So um, so that's one thing as well, a little advice that I give out there, but ultimately, Tom will tell us where we'll go with that.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I wanted to touch on sort of the mechanics of investing nowadays as well, because as you mentioned, one thing is valuations going up, uh, later stage investors coming in earlier on, but I've seen that rounds are very competitive as well. And so a lot of the deals I've been able to invest in are the result of being part of networks. And they're like, hey, we're trying to fill out this round. um, And then I'm lucky to get allocation in there. But, you know, it's a really competitive space right now. And if you don't get in early, you could get completely priced out and you're not part of the next Uber or whatever it is. And then, you know, you kind of miss that train or that boat. But let's talk a bit about the mechanics of actually finding the deals, making sure that you get allocation, perhaps like some pro rata as well, where you can keep your allocation as you get bigger. How do you guys kind of think about that journey and and that structure and and making sure that you're going to have the exits you need to have a successful fund?
1: So yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, things are things are it's a wild world out there. <laughs> um, no, I mean, and I think it's, it's it's very much it's it's both a hustle for founders, but also for fund managers uh, to to your point, oh. get access to some of those great deals. Um, of course, you know the, the the dream of all VCs. I mean, I, I, maybe not all, but ninety nine percent of VCs would be to you know have an Uber, you know, Airbnb type of type of exit. Obviously, um, the good thing is because we have a lot more founders coming out, there is a lot more there is a lot more resources in the ecosystem to to basically help founders succeed. I'd like to think that the probability of also having the next Uber is a little higher than it used to be. Uh, that's maybe that's my optimism kind of coming through. Um, so that's number one. And so I think you know there are there is room for everyone. So that's the, num- the, one, the number one piece. One thing that I've seen at, at Moxie at least is that Katie and Alex are two GPs. You know, I've been in the Silicon Valley for many years. They've worked in some of the largest tech companies. Um, they have you know very, very strong network in the on the uh, in the Bay Area you know across the nation i've been an east coast kind of a girl like for most of my career so i've, I've been in that plug in that ecosystem so together we've been able to actually combine both of our networks. so we do have quite a large network of deals and other investors and i think it's going to sound really cheesy but it also comes down to be a good person being a person that is actually liked to really be able to get access to good deals because no other investors want to invest with someone who is not, not nice i mean you can have yeah, you can have you know, very, very nice track records, but if you're sufferable, uh, trust me, you probably won't be number one on, on people's radar. So I think that's number one piece that I just kind of like would like to put out there. It's a, it's a big industry, but it's also small in that sense. So kind of like having that reputation of just a being a nice person, but also again being value ads, someone that founders actually would feel proud to have on their cap table. I think that's that's really important. I think that we um I'd like to think that Moxie, I mean, I've seen Kate and Alex working with founders, they they truly care. They've they've been operators themselves, so they really understand what it takes to actually build. So I think that's something that founders really appreciate. And because of that, our funders are able to recommend us to other founders who are looking to raise so that's been really good and I personally also try to do that you know trying to really be able to also support other funders that I see even if I might not invest I'm like you know how can we, can I be helpful to you and I know that that's some, something that VCs love to say but truly how can I be helpful is it a connection that you need is it do you need to me to try as a user what is it like how can I help so because ultimately I think that start about the backbone of our economy. So we we are, you know, we are better off helping them. So I think that's the number one piece. Now coming back to, you know, how do we a, get access to deals? I think that's what I've just said is sort of like my answer to some of that. Now kind of like continuing, being able to follow on, um, I think that's 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 that's, that's become really tough. And a lot of seed investors have seen the value in maybe raising Kind of an opportunity funds to be able to follow on because as companies grow and grow bigger and have you know bigger valuation to your point um maybe your seats your seed funds might not actually afford those bigger deals so it's, it's it can be very uh beneficial or very strategic to actually build uh, to actually raise another 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 fund and opportunity fund and that comes back to again being back on the fundraising trail and 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 do that and you know in fact you know we doing that and i've seen a lot of of other um, vcs also thinking about build, raising another another round to be able to a, invest in uh follow on rounds of existing companies in the portfolio but also being able to invest in companies that they've seen in the ecosystem and maybe they're, they're, they were just too late um to participate in the seed, in, in in the seed so that's, i think that's Another way to kind of like get access to that and uh and again being part of network, knowing you know, having a great network of other co-investors, but also you know, of of of, of founders, really hanging out where founders are and and you know, around the prorata, time, I think it's it all comes down to negotiation and, and that that piece can be just what kind of like what happens behind the scenes is not always so pretty, but I think that's uh that's where it comes down to you know having being surrounded by, you know, the right group of VCs that you actually trust, that you want to invest with. And I think that those conversations can be very, uh, you know, uncomfortable, but, you know, happens what happens.
0: Yeah. Now, I'd like to touch on those uncomfortable conversations as well and negotiations. Uh, I've taken a class or two on negotiations and watched a couple of YouTube videos, so I might not be as good as most people, but what are some of the tips and tricks that you've learned about negotiating and making sure that you get allocation from a VC perspective, but then also any tips... For the founders themselves, in terms of negotiating the best deals and terms, because I can't tell you how many times I've heard of uh, founders either being completely diluted out, so when they exit, they, their equity is worth almost nothing, or you know they, uh, they they're not able to negotiate good contracts with perhaps large customers like maybe the post office or whatever it is. But what have you learned about negotiating, and what are some of the tips and tricks that you could recommend from a VC and a founder perspective, and how to have good negotiations and manage those difficult conversations?
1: Yeah, I think. when it comes to the negotiation piece, you know, both with founders and other VCs, it really comes down to, you know, what is your true value? So what is it that you're actually trying to negotiate? Obviously, better terms, but why? So if you truly believe that you are going to help that company go from that next stage because you bring X, Y, and Z, really putting that, you know, on the table, that you are trying to, you know, get access to those type of customers. Well, guess what? We have all of those, in our network we can actually get you in front of those. We can specifically help you get X, Y, and Z. And so I think that that's really important when we, um, when we talk to founders that, you know, here is what we can actually help you do. Like you're trying to expand into the US market. We have a very strong network, both, you know, maybe at the government level to help you with some of those like regulation and admin stuff that you need to get sorted, but also from a business perspective. Because ultimately, you know, founders want to really be done with fundraising. Most founders hate fundraising. That's that's dirty little secret here. I don't think I've heard any founder actually saying that I'm really enjoying fundraising. Uh, But so they would really want to get out of the fundraising mode as soon as possible. So really thinking about, you know, okay, let's actually, this is the game plan. Let's get you out of this, this this phase and let's actually get back into building, which is the most important thing. So that's around that. So how do we help you position yourself to be the, 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 the greatest company out there? So that's rethinking about, you know, what we have to bring at Moxie, even I as an investor, and also just the past, like, you know, in the past, I've been able to help you do X, Y, and Z, uh, you know, the, the past can predict what will happen in the future. So because I've done that, I've been, you know, very helpful to you. And we try to kind of like also, you know, like I said, we try to add value regardless of the, the process uh, where we are. So I think that's, that's really, um, that really kind of like gives an insight to founders as to what Mark can actually you know brings what type of value we can actually bring. And also uh, what the rest of the world is saying. I think coming back to being a nice person, uh, because, you know, your founders will probably want to kind of like do their own due diligence. You know, they talk to some of your portfolio company, what exactly, you know, what, how have they been helpful to you? I think it's, it's really good. And all of those to, to help us really work in our favor. Um, when it comes to with other VCs and kind of like negotiating our terms, um, that could be, you know, that could be obviously very difficult if you're working with someone who is particularly difficult, because, you know, there are people out there who are like that. And I think that in any industry that you are, that's just the nature of the world we live in. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes it's painful, but maybe walking away is probably just your best bet. And just say like, hey, you know, you know what? This I at, at end of the day, this might be. This is not worth our time uh, because we most most also have other deals in the pipeline that they're looking at. Which this is not a sole deal that we're trying to work on. Of course, we would love to make it work, but we also do have other deals that might actually be worth our time and energy to kind of like you know expand um, doing that. Because when we go through those negotiations, there's obviously lawyers being involved. There's you know all this time being spent, all this money being spent, and so and that's just time from us taken away from, A, supporting our existing companies, but also other investments that also are, you know, looking, and it's also just not fair to, you know, spending all our energies on, you know, one specific deal. So I think that's one thing as well, that I think it's okay to kind of like, you know, painful, but I made it go. It's not meant to be.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. I'm sure we could speak for hours, but we try and keep these episodes somewhat concise. We'll probably have to bring you in for another episode, but um, (laughs) thank you so much for being on the show, Ina. Um, How can people get in contact with you if they ever want to reach out? What's the best way for them to get in touch?
1: Absolutely. So uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, it's very easy. It's my name, Ina Halilu, and same with Twitter. Very active on Twitter. Um, also, my name Ina underscore Halilu. So uh, you know, come find me there, and uh, always very down to talk anything about you know VC trends, Africa, what's happening, you know, um, in the market now. Anything unsexy tech, I love. So uh, you know, just you know, hit me for that. So thank you so much for having me.
0: Sounds good. Take care. Bye. Bye.